Uh, good morning. Uh, my name is Daniel Fawcett. Um, most people know me as Coach Fawcett, or once you've been coaching for a while, they just call you Coach, and most people forget your name. Uh, so you can just call me Coach, that's all right. I teach science at Ragnar High School, and I coach uh, junior high boys basketball. I love it. I really love this community. Uh, we've been here for about three years, and it's, it's been awesome. It's been an awesome ride. Um, so when I was thinking about what I wanted to talk about today, um, I had an idea for a sermon, but in light of everything that's happened, um, and last Sunday hearing Mike, Jonathan, and Tyler talk about Eric, I realized that I needed to speak about something uh, completely different than my original plan, and something that's a lot more sensitive to uh, my personal life and to my heart. Um, an experience I went through that I feel like is really going to bless you guys this morning, uh, especially for those who are hurting during this time. And briefly, I want to say about Eric Ford is that I've never seen someone so willing to give of himself to other people. Uh, many of you know my wife and I, we bought a foreclosure uh, back in May, and somehow Eric figured out about it, and he came up to me one day after church, and he said, don't pay anyone to work on your house. <laughs> and he hadn't seen the house yet, so, but he was like, I want to come help you. We'll get some people from the church together, and we're going to help you in any way we can. He said, just tell us when to be there. And, you know, we gave him a date, and a few weeks later, on a Saturday morning, all these cars start pulling up to our house. Uh, they just completely fill our yard up with trucks. And Eric gets out of his truck, and Tim, and everybody who was there, I can't even name how many people from this church who came. And they helped us tear into our house and get started on our renovations. Um, and every week, this church came back to help me and my wife. Um, and we cannot express how thankful uh, we are for that. And a lot of that was thanks to Eric Ford and his, his leadership to be a servant. Um, and to be blunt, you know, I didn't know Eric very well. I didn't know him for very long. I only knew him for a couple of years, and I really hardly even spoke to him before he started helping us with our house. But it's so obvious that he has a servant's heart. Um, and to my wife and me, we saw Jesus in him and in his actions. And we thank God for that. Um, and we thank Eric for the example he set for us of what it means uh, to sacrifice of yourself to give to others and to people that he hardly knew. And to me, what's more Christ-like than that? So today, in light of, of what's happened in these past few weeks, I want to encourage you all with a story from my past. Uh, the story, it often haunts me in terrible ways, but it also uh, fills me with joy and excitement, depending on my perspective uh, when I read this to Bailey last night, I cried about half the time, so uh, today I'm going to try to think of things that maybe make me mad or something like that to try, to try not to cry. So if I do, just bear with me. Um, so the story, I guess it would start with me in elementary school. Uh, my family, a huge family, we got five brothers and a sister, so seven kids, and my parents, so a house of nine. Uh, growing up in a big homeschooled family, you know, in a smaller house at first, we were always working on our house. But we'd have a tiny room with three bunk beds and six, boil, uh, six boys piled in there. So, you know, big family. And my older brothers, you know, my mom homeschooled us all. And when we got into high school, she realized that some of us needed to start going to school to play sports and have some socialization. And so my older brothers went to Pleasant Valley uh, when I was still in elementary school. And they played all the sports. And I would go to the high school uh, to watch them play. And one time when I was in sixth grade, um, I was at my brother's high school football game, 
And me and a friend of mine, a homeschool friend of mine, were coming back from the concession stand to um, go back to our seats. And if you've been to Pleasant Valley, there's this grassy hill right when you come through the gate. And there's always little kids playing football. And I was one of those little kids. I was a homeschooler. I didn't know anybody. And me and my friend are walking by. And some kids ask us if we want to play football with them. So, you know, we're nervous. Public school kids, when you're a homeschooler, they're kind of intimidating because they're a part of functional society. And you know you're not part of functional society. So you're a little nervous. But uh, I play football with them. And, you know, growing up in a big family of boys, um, you're pretty competitive. So if somebody's trying to show out, you know, you want to go tackle them. You want to do what you can do to bring them back down to size, so to speak. And there's one kid there. He's got these broad shoulders, this uh, wide jaw, and he's just running the ball, and he's knocking everybody off of him. You know, they're bouncing off, and I'm thinking, okay, I'm going to bring this guy down to size. I'm going to tackle him. And uh, so one play, I run up to him. I tackle him. You know, people are impressed or whatever. And then, you know, I think the play's over, and he gets back up, and then he tackles me. Uh, so we get into a fight, and eventually some, some older kids come by and break us up. Um, but needless to say, my initial perception of public school kids wasn't the best. And with this particular kid, um, I really I hated him because I thought I tackled him fair and square, and then he gets up and he wants to fight me for it. So I don't like this kid. Um, his name was Stephen Huddleston. I don't know if you've heard of Stephen Huddleston, but um, that was his name. And later on that year, I'm doing what I always do. Being the younger brother, I've got my older brother's games, uh, watching a basketball game. This is basketball season. Um, and the same kid, you know, I'm minding my own business. I'm sitting all the way in the back of the gym, and the same kid walks through the door. I'm like, oh, great. I have to have an interaction with this guy again. We're probably going to get into a fight again. And I'm sitting in the very back of the gym, and he comes through. He's wearing a hat and a Dallas Cowboys jersey. I'll never forget. And he walks all the way around the gym. He finds me in the crowd and starts walking towards me all the way to the top of the, to the stands. I'm like, oh God, what is this going to be? What's going to happen? He comes up to me, he reaches his hand out and smiles, and he says, that was a pretty good fight, man. You kicked my tail. And uh, I shake his hand, and then after that, we were best friends. Um, it was the only friendship I've ever had that started with a physical fight. <laughs> and if you know me, I'm not really that confrontational of a person, but with him, I don't know, it was, it was just different. So, you know, moving forward with our friendship, in middle school, we both went to Pleasant Valley, and I got out of homeschool. You know, we go to each other's houses, we'd, uh, we'd stay up late, playing video games, talking about life, we'd play basketball, and then we'd play basketball on our video games, we were obsessed with it. Sometimes we'd be out in this driveway playing basketball until, you know, one or two o'clock in the morning, and we always played with this cheap, it was like a $5 basketball that had the fake leather on it, and the leather had worn off so much that it was hanging off, and we called it the fuzzy ball because it looked like it had fur on it. And we played with that ball for the next, you know, seven years of our friendship. And as the years rolled by, uh, we were always on each other's basketball teams. We were good friends. Um, in middle school, we were kind of more secular, and we both had genuine uh, conversions and became Christians through high school. So our conversations got deeper about what it meant to believe in Christ. And if you knew Stephen, you know, for whatever reason, he loved to talk about the end times, and we talk about that a lot. And he was a year behind me, so when I finally graduated high school, I'd come back to, the, to Pleasant Valley to watch the games and to see my girlfriend at the time, who's now my wife. Um, and Stephen would be there, and we'd catch up, and I'll never forget, it was my freshman year at JSU, and I came back to Pleasant Valley, 
I was at a football game, and Stephen was there, and we caught up, and it was awesome. Like, he sat by me. We hadn't seen each other in, like, four months, and we had the whole night. I didn't even watch the game. Me and Stephen are just talking. And at the end of the night, uh, when the game was over, he asked me if I wanted to come hang out with him and see his family because I hadn't been over there in a little while. And when I went to college, I became obsessed with my GPA. Uh, my goal was to have perfect grades, and I did. I had perfect grades. I had a 4.0 GPA, but a lot of things, you know, fell at the wayside because of my obsession with my GPA. And I told him, you know, I can't hang out this week, maybe next week. Um, and I probably wouldn't have hung out with him next week because I would have had something else with school. So I said no, and I regret that more than anything. A week later, Stephen was driving home from his girlfriend's house, and he wasn't wearing a seatbelt. He almost never wore a seatbelt. And the roads in Pleasant Valley, some of them are really bad. And, you know, him not having a seatbelt on, probably driving fast like he always did, he came off the edge of the road, and the shoulder was low, so we had to turn it back, you know, a lot harder to get back on the road. And when he did, it finally caught. He went across the road, hit the ditch, flipped. Because he wasn't wearing a seatbelt, um, his head hit the compression of the uh, roof of the car, and it killed him instantly. So that was just a few days after he'd asked me uh, to come to his house. And the next morning after this had happened, you know, I'm using my iPod Touch because I'm too cheap to buy a phone. And on my iPod, on my texting app, um, I've got hundreds of texts asking me, hey, did you hear about Steven? You know, what happens? What happened about Steven True? Um, so I know that something's terrible. And then I get a, a phone call from Bailey. And when I answered the phone, the only thing I could say was, is it true? I, I just knew what had happened without anyone even spelling it out for me. And I probably asked her that a hundred times. Um, I was just in complete shock. I was in tears. Days and weeks later, uh, after this had happened, I would often wake up feeling depressed. Sometimes his name would still show up on like Snapchat or my social media, and I just want to send him a message, but just knowing that you know, he's not going to see that message. And I would just sit there, just staring at his name, you know, wishing, wishing I could talk to him again. And, and after this had happened, you know, I would go, I still see his parents a lot, and we do a basketball camp. And one time, you know, I was talking to Dwayne, his dad, when they were first getting rid of his stuff. And he said, you know, I just want to ask his friends if you wanted anything of his, you know, because we're giving it away. And I said, the only thing I want is that fuzzy basketball. And he went out in the woods, and about an hour later, he found it somewhere in a ditch. And I have it framed in a glass case now. Um, I just, I love that fuzzy basketball. To me, that encompasses our entire friendship. It was, everything was centered around basketball. Even if we were talking about faith, or faith, we were talking about it in a gym playing basketball. Or while we were playing basketball in a video game. So my question is, you know, why, why would I share this story with you? And a natural question that arises from the world's perspective you know, is this story a catastrophe? Was Stephen's life taken too early, and did the devil win in his death? And on the surface, from the world's perspective, Stephen's death is a complete tragedy. 17-year-old kid, dead. You know, who, what parents want to see their child die before they do? That is the epitome of disaster. That's all they see. That's all the world sees is a tragedy but I see something completely different. And it's taken me a lot of time to fully realize this, but, you know, Stephen, in simple terms, he was saved by the power of Christ. And in that, there is, there is hope and there is beauty. 
You know, as flawed as he was and as flawed as we all are, he believed in Christ and he placed his faith in him and in that there is hope. John 11, 25 through 26 says, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? So Stephen believed in Christ. So although his physical body died, his spiritual body is with Christ. And I love this verse. It says, though he die, yet shall he live. Sorry, I'm getting some feedback here. Um, but though he die, yet shall he live. Everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. And it doesn't mean your physical body isn't going to die, but your spiritual body is never going to die if you're with Christ. In Romans 8.28, it says, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to His purpose. Romans 8 makes you wonder, how did someone dying at 17 work out for their good? How does Stephen dying at 17 work out for his good? Because Romans 8 tells us that to those who love God, all things, everything works together for his good. Well, after Stephen uh, went to be with Christ, there was a revival in our community. We had a celebration of life for him. And at that event, dozens of his friends who had put off the gospel and who had put off Jesus got saved at his celebration of life and committed their life to Christ. And the next summer, me and a friend of mine, we started a basketball camp in Stephen's name. And every summer, we are sharing his story and we are sharing the gospel. So how did... God works Stephen's death for his good, we have to ask ourselves, why are we created in the first place? Why was Stephen Huddleston created? And we were all created to give God glory. And in Stephen's death, God was given glory. So here's the takeaway for, and this is short, but this is the takeaway for everything of this entire message. As Christians, when we die, we win. Because we give God glory when we die. When a Christian dies, God wins. When Christ died and was resurrected, He won. When a Christian dies, there is hope. So I know Stephen's death was not a tragedy. He knows Christ. He is with Christ. And my question for you, if a 17-year-old boy dying in a car crash isn't a tragedy, what is? I want you to imagine a young couple that, has, that does not know Christ. They get married after graduating college. They both get these great jobs. They have a handful of kids. They retire early and they live at the beach. Imagine they die at 100 years old. They exceed the life expectancy by 20 years. And every year of their life was exactly what they planned for themselves. That life is a tragedy. The self-seeking worldly absence of Christ's life is a tragedy regardless of how old you are when you die 
So I'll end this passage with, or in this message with a passage from 1 Corinthians 15, 50 through 58. It says, I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. But we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body was put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, and Eric Ford is the perfect example of this, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. So my plea to you is simple. Consider the grace of Christ. Follow Him, believe in Him, hope in Him, and no matter when you die, it's not going to be a tragedy. It's going to give God immense, immense glory. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your grace. And thank you for saving those of us who don't deserve it at all. I pray that you fill us with the Holy Spirit. I pray that you will touch those hearts who you have touched and draw them to you today. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.